Good morning. Glad to be back. They made me sit out a week after I had everybody raising their hands. <laughs> no, no, that, that was, that's not entirely true. Um, but I wasn't here last week, and, uh, but it's good to be home and back with uh, this fellowship of believers. I was great, great job. I mean, the scripture reading and prayer was awesome this morning. The music was great. And I was singing these songs, and I went, what if God held us accountable for the commitments we made while singing? You know what I'm saying? Whew. Would we sing it? I hope so. I'm going to talk about that this morning as we spend some time together in the Word. Let, let's, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started today. Father, we, we, we come today before the throne of grace confessing the fact that it is hard for us to live to the standard that you have called us to. Without your spirit, it's impossible for us to do that. But it is hard because we still wrestle with the flesh. It's ongoing. But the stakes are high. We're going to talk about that today. The stakes are high. Give us the will and the courage and by your spirit the ability to become sanctuaries, which indeed is what we are. Our body is the temple of God. Help us to live like that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a, this is a different kind of message for me. Um, I have been primarily an expository preacher through all the years uh, here at Countryside. And, uh, and this is kind of more of a topical kind of a sermon. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's kind of a different fit, but it's okay. I think it's important that we, uh, I'm certainly not going to start a book series. I only get it one shot once in a while, you know, to take us 20 years to go through Ruth or something, you know. So anyway, but I just wanted you to be aware that it's a little bit different. This sermon uh, has risen out of recent experiences in my life, which include uh, reading through the Bible again with Anne. We, we find this to be a blast, and you should do this. You should read it out loud. If you're married with your spouse, it's a different experience than just quietly reading to yourself. And every time we do this, and we, we started again this year, uh, through the book, through the Bible, and, uh, and things, things just jump out at me, things that maybe I would have read over, you know, and not really had it grab hold of me. And so part of what we're going to talk about today is coming out of that experience. That combined with Becky's death, my little sister, that uh, most of you are aware that we came back um, from Florida early knowing that the clock was ticking in terms of her time with us on earth. And Ann and I were arrived in time to spend um, the, really the final minutes that, that she had with us before starting to slip into um, a coma. When I was leaving her bedside, and it was, it was a precious time with her, and we... Um, Time for a drink. We, um, 
sang the song that all five of us kids sang at my mother's funeral. Um, now if I can just remember it, you know. Um, but anyway, we sang that song together. And during the chorus part, Becky joined us with her alto voice. Wow. That was just a little much um, for us. And it was precious. It was a precious time. When we were getting ready to leave, um, she asked if I was going to coming, be coming back to see her. And I said, um, no. The next time you see me and the next time I see you will be when I step off that train in glory and I expect you to be there to greet me. That was not a statement of hope. It was a statement of faith. It's a, there's a difference there, all right? Of certainty yet unseen. That's how Hebrews talks about it, you know. Faith for the believer is a substance, right? It's not just a wish, it's not just a dream, it's not just I hope for, it is a certainty yet unseen. Not, not about the train. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to arrive in heaven, you know. Maybe a flaming chariot, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. But sometimes when I think about, and I think about how are we going to arrive in heaven, sometimes I think about it as a big train station, you know, and on the board, you know, is arriving on track 17, from Jonesville, Michigan, you know, and then all the people that cared about me, one or two, <laughs> will be there to meet me getting off the train. I, I kind of like that image, you know, and, we, and then they get to show us around the glories of heaven that they've already experienced. Well, it's not, that's not the faith part. The faith part is I'm going to be there, and so is she, and it's a certainty. And it's a certainty for anyone who have received the gift of salvation, eternal life, purchased by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a certainty. So, with our short time that we had with Becky, Ann and I came back home, and it was in a couple days, and, and Becky arrived in the presence of her Lord. And we were getting ready to head back up for the funeral. But before we did, one night, I had a dream. Now some of you are starting to squirm in your seat. There goes Pastor John taking us down another path. He's turned into a mystic, you know. Dreams and visions. No, it's, it's not, that's not what I'm talking about here. I will tell you that as a pastor for 37 years here at Countryside, I, it, I made up my point. I don't think it happened immediately. It took me a while to understand this concept. But I would start my sermon preparations on Monday. Because when I did that, all week, it just was in my mind. I'm thinking about it. Stuff that would be relevant that maybe I wanted to include, I could put in that thing. And on occasion, on occasion... I would have a dream. Now, I was really encouraged because uh, 
Jeremy and, and Pastor Aaron, we had prayer at the beginning, and I told the guys, kind of prepared them for this, ooh, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, and Aaron said, you know what, that happens to me too. And what happens in this dream is it, it and dreams are interesting things anyway, because they kind of take the, the compilation of what's happening in our life, and it puts it all together in some kind of, sometimes bizarre, but sometimes fairly organized structure. And that's what happened to me. I was preaching in my dream Becky's funeral. Now, I didn't, do, I didn't preach Becky's funeral, but in my dream I was. And I had a text. And I had an outline. And I was going at it. And then I woke up. And having been through this experience before, I grabbed my phone, which is by the bedside, got into my notes and started getting things typed in because I knew that if I waited till I woke up, it would be gone. This is the sermon that I'm going to preach to you today. A call to commitment. The text, and you can turn there if you want, we're going to refer to it periodically, is in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Is there an outline in your bulletin? Did it ever get there? Okay, good. So your first point is value. Value. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Shall not. Being a... uh, I have, I have no reputation to seek anymore, so I can't destroy it. Well, I probably could destroy it, but I don't think this will. I, Lord of the Rings, right? Whenever I come across this phrase, shall not, what image do you suppose comes to mind? Gandalf in the depths of the dwarf kingdom, right? Moria, is it Moria? Yeah. When he stands there with his shaft and he says, You shall not pass. Bam. You know, isn't that a. So when I think of the concept of shall not, and when I think Joshua standing in front of the nation of Israel, it's kind of like that. I don't know if he slammed his staff on the ground or not, but that's the emphasis. You, this book shall not depart from your mouth. Is that is that is that biblical hyperbole? You know? Is, is that like, a, like an exaggeration to make a point? That that person, we, God's people, are never to allow the book of the law, the word of God, to depart from our mouths. That it should be there all the time. book of the law is interesting, that phrase, because Moses uses it first. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy 28 
20. Interesting chapter. It's the chapter on curse, blessings and curses. Blessings and curses. And then you read the whole chapter and blessing, 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 curse, 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 curse. And it all depends on what the nation does with the book of the law. Are you serious about this? If you keep it, you will find blessing. And if you neglect it, you will be cursed. Deuteronomy 28. Let me share a couple of three verses, 58 through 61. If you are not careful, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness and grievous, grievous, sickness grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you, and this should be underlined in your Bible, until you are destroyed. Until you are destroyed. Moses is talking to the people of Israel. And God is saying, don't mess with this. Don't disregard it. Don't make it trivial. Don't reserve it just for feast days when you gather together. Don't do that. It is something that is to be ever-present in your life. You are not to neglect it. You are to emphasize it. This is important or you will be destroyed. Did, did God keep his word? It's okay. You can interact with it. Did God keep his word? I'm going to have to make you raise your hands again. We don't talk in church. Well, we do today. Did God keep his word? Yes. Yes. You've heard of the, the lost tribes of Israel, right? The, the ten northern kingdoms? They're not lost, actually. You know that, of course. But after Solomon, the kingdom split, and we have Israel and we have Judah, right? Israel is gone. They were led off into captivity by the Assyrians, and they would never be heard from again. Just a little side note. I think this would happen in most places. There were people that were true to God in all the tribes of Israel. And you know for a fact that those that were true to God migrated out of Israel down into Judah when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, set up the golden calves for worship in the northern kingdom, right? So all of the tribes of Israel were represented in Judah. But God destroyed Israel. They're gone. So it should come as no surprise to us 
that Joshua, the protege of Moses, should begin his book, the book of Joshua, the account of the fulfillment of the promises that God made to his people in bringing them into the land of promise. It is not surprising that he emphasizes the critical part of God's word being constantly in their mouth. This is not hyperbole. So let's, let's look a little, a little deeper into the book of the law. I'm not going to have you turn there uh, because I don't want you to miss the point. In fact, this is going to be interactive again. Between chapters 18 and 26, there is a phrase that's repeated 47 times. And the phrase is, I am the Lord. So I'm going to read these texts, but you're going to help me because when I point like this, you're going to say, I am the Lord. All right, ready? This is a trial. Yes, you know, this has got to be the smartest congregation. They were just right there. With, and I got to tell you, two weeks ago when we did this hand raising, you guys blew me away. That closing was my favorite last hymn in 42 years or whatever length it's been to be at Countryside. It just encouraged my heart as we praise God together. Well, you're, you're sharp. So, one more try. Okay, here we go. Leviticus 18.4. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. 18.6. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. That whole chapter, by the way, deals with sexual impurity. That whole, whole big section of it. And you will find, if, you, if you're listening carefully, that, that these, these commandments are all details of the ten. All right? They're all, they're all specific examples, but kind of find their root in the Ten Commandments. Okay, number three, 1821. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of your God. Okay, a little, bit, a little stronger next time, okay? It's a, you shall not pass moment. Okay, here we go. Number four, Leviticus 19.3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and you shall keep my Sabbaths Oh, that's awesome. Leviticus 19.4. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods or of cast metal. I am the Lord. I almost read it for you. Yeah, it's close to it. Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. You get the idea, right? And we're talking 47 times in the book of Leviticus in those chapters. 47 times. A command is given, followed by, I am the Lord. You get the idea. The foundation, the urgency of keeping the law is in the identity of the lawgiver. These words shall not depart out of your mouth, for I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. 
Let's slip into Deuteronomy chapter 4. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and, and make carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Watch out. Watch out. I'm bringing you into a great place. Don't forget me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great, to give, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is Moses warning the people from God himself. When you experience the good land, do not forget me. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valley, valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, in a land where you will eat bread without scarcity, scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. It's not difficult through these passages in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy to see how these passages would find their expression in Joshua saying, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Do you value that? Is God's word critical? For you? Is it something that you would rather see everything in your house taken away from you? Just don't take the word of God. In fact, even better, hide it in your heart. Hide it in your heart. Memorize it. Keep it in your mouth all day long. So the, the little phrase after value in your outline is desire it. That's a, that's a first step. And I'm going to just ask you, do you desire it? Or does, it, does your Bible collect dust? Do you have to look for it on Sunday morning when you head to church? Number two, practice. Practice. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. And here it is. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Day and night. It is not enough for you to be informed of it. 
for you have, for you to have, it's not enough for you to have memorized it as a child. By the way, that's so important. Parents, grandparents, get your kids to memorize scripture. There's something about the minds of the young that they soak up everything. I can quote to you chapters in the Bible that I memorized as a kid. All right? That are there at the snap of a finger. I can just and give you the passage. Some years ago when I was still senior pastor here at Countryside, uh, we did the book of Philippians. Remember that? And through the book of Philippians, we memorized chapter 4. You know what I'm finding out? I have to go back and renew that fairly regularly because it starts to, like, drift away. And I don't want it to drift away. What, what was that comment? Not what? Not. The other thing that's going is my hearing. Did I tell you that? Well, I, there's passive, parts of it I, I, I do fine with. But the ones that I memorize as a kid are there. It's like cement into my brain. So do that. Get your children to memorize Scripture. It'll help down the road. Because the Bible is just telling us here that we're to meditate on it day and night. It's not enough for you simply to be informed of the Word of God. It's not enough even to have memorized it as a child. It is to be a consistent part of your daily thoughts. Listen to this. It is to be integral in your decisions throughout the day. Oh, I think I'm going to buy this. Is that something that honors God? Now you say, well, come on. You know. Well, the Bible informs me a lot about buying, about purchasing, and it warns me of not abusing credit. And that's such an easy thing to do is to flap down the plastic and get something you don't really need, and it will put you in financial bondage. And so ask yourself, does this honor God? Now that's just one little example. You find yourself at that age that you're dating someone. Did you ask the question, is this someone that would honor God? Ask that question. It can save you a lifetime of heartache. Because we are to be people that act and speak and do as informed by the scriptures. That's what this means. It's what Moses taught Joshua. Deuteronomy 6. All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You get it?
I am concerned that modern Christians today or Christians of this era don't understand this level of the Christian life. I command you to teach them diligently to your children. So many years ago, uh, many years ago, I was a much younger man. Well, I was probably in my 20s, maybe early 30s. And I, I started to observe the, the beginnings of what has turned into a tsunami wave of perverse and corrupt ideology in our nation today, right? And I saw that when they were ripples. And I saw that the, at that time, it, they, they weren't called green earth, but they were, they were obsessed about overpopulation. And, and that kind of radical fringe, oh, we're overpopulated, oh, you people shouldn't have kids. And then we had the same-sex people, all right? And by the this is this is a little distraction, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I want you to note the pattern, and it's an oft-repeated pattern. When these radical and unbiblical ideologies come on, the first thing that they cry for is tolerance. You have to tolerate, tolerate us. And once they get that piece accomplished and they got the nation that's willing to tolerate this perverseness, then the next cry is you have to accept us. And it doesn't end there. And we can see it in our world today. Because the next step is you have to celebrate it. You have to celebrate it. And you just look at the worldly system, and that's exactly what's going on today. It's not enough to tolerate it, and it's not enough to accept it. You have to celebrate it. And if you don't celebrate it, they'll cancel you. This is where our world is today. So anyway, back to my younger self. And I thought, okay, we got these radicals that are deciding not to have children because they don't want to overpopulate the world. And we got these radicals that are in same-sex relationships, and neither of these groups are going to have children, so they're going to die out. Because they're not going to have any kids to propagate this wicked ideology. And I, I'll tell you, I had some comfort in that thought. And then I discovered the flaw in that. Because their goal is not to teach their children these things. Their goal is to take your children. And if you look around and you find out where this ideology prospers, it prospers in the realm that impacts children. God's people need to be aware of this. You must understand that wickedness is all about us and it's at your doorstep. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Because the minute you neglect this adherence to God's word, you will begin to slip away from it and begin to embrace the world's way.
What gets the bulk of your time? What gets the bulk of your attention? I was doing something, and Ann had the news on the TV set, and I was kind of doing one thing and listening with, you know how that works, you're kind of doing two things at once. And they started talking about social media as it relates to kids. And one of them revealed, these phones apparently can keep track of how much time you spend in certain areas. You know what I'm saying? They revealed with, with chagrin that they found out that their kid last week had spent 80 hours that's two full-time jobs, 80 hours on social media. Not far removed from that bit of information, it was the news that said that I believe the young man was 15, year old, 15 years old and was being cyber-bullied. Cyber -bullied. We have we a, a term that has been invented. He was being bullied through Snapchat. And he took his own life because he couldn't deal with it. Parents and grandparents, protect your kids. Protect them with the word of God. Protect them by not giving them to the world and worldly things that can destroy them. I'm just telling you as a warning. And that's what's contained in this passage in Joshua. It shall not pass from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Number three, experience. What's the outcome? <laughs> the outcome is, is if we follow God's word, if we commit ourselves to this plan of not letting our minds and our hearts and our attention be filled and taken up with the things of this world. Get the right page down here. For then your way will, we will make your way prosperous, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's the outcome of 1.8. If the book of law does not depart from your mouth and you meditate it on a day at night, then you are on the track for prosperity and success. And I don't mean financial. God can bless you in that way too. But spiritually, which is the most important, you know? Isn't that true? I've done a lot of funerals. I never saw a hearse with a trailer hitch. Have you ever seen a hearse? You don't take it with you. Whatever you've accumulated in this life, it stays behind. The only thing that really matters is the spiritual. Do not miss the connection. The law of God is never to be set aside. It informs our thoughts, our decisions on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. We meditate on it day and night. For then the outcome, you will enjoy spiritual prosperity and success. So through Moses, the law is given. And then Joshua takes that law and sees the promise of a land for the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fulfilled. And then 
you literally turn the page. The next book is what? Okay, I won't embarrass you. Judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You literally turn the page. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or work that he had done for Israel, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. One generation. And the people of Israel, we've become Baal worshipers. As we were reading through I don't know if it was the Kings or the Chronicles, but they talk, spoke of one king of Judah that was evil, did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he brought the articles and the idols of Baal into the temple. What? This, this is the place of God's presence. The Old Testament uses that word a lot when it speaks about the God dwelling with his people. And it was his presence was in the tent of meeting during the journey to the promised land. And then finally, Solomon builds the temple. And then his presence is in the temple with his people. The Shekinah glory of God, the Father, dwelt on earth, his presence was in first the tent of meeting and the tabernacle, and now his nation, who was commanded to not let the word of God depart from their mouth, but to meditate on it day and night, are putting articles of Baal in his house. It made me angry. It made me angry, but worse than that, it made God angry. I talk about Leviticus having the phrase, I am the Lord, repeated so often. In the book of Judges, the phrase is, and Israel did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Oftentimes repeated. The next generation after Joshua died did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And they became worshipers of Baal and the Asherah. Well, now we get to the point of the sermon. We are one generation away from our families becoming reprobate. We are one generation away from our children not knowing God and worshiping instead the culture they are immersed in. One generation. 
God's emphasis on the word remaining in your mouth, if you fail to teach them to your children, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, do not be surprised if they begin to worship the wickedness of this present world. I was standing at the graveside of Becky. And my brother, my younger brother Mark, was there. And I I know that many of you have been concerned about me, how I'm dealing with, with this. And all I can tell you is that we sorrow not like those who have no hope. All right? When my sister and her husband were younger, and they were missionaries in Spain for a lot of years, and I remember mom and dad taking them to the airport and saying goodbye, and I remember there were lots of tears and lots of hugs because mom and dad knew at that time they wouldn't see him again for at least four years. And it was back in that day, the only way that you talked to anybody in Europe went through that big cable that laid under the Atlantic Ocean. And that was expensive. And mom and dad would save up their money so they could talk like 10 minutes. But it was tearful because they were saying goodbye. They weren't saying goodbye forever. They were saying goodbye for four years, and it was painful, and they had tears. When I stood beside the grave of my little sister, I wasn't saying goodbye forever. I was saying goodbye for, who knows, maybe a pretty short period of time. And it's okay. Because I will see her again. And I don't, I don't have that gut-wrenching pain and, oh, I can't, you know, it, none of that is there. So my brother Mark was standing next to me. And I told him I was going to use his quote, his statement in my sermon, and I would give him credit. So there's a little asterisk. Mark Lilly, this is from him. And he said, you know, I preached a sermon some time ago and I said that there were only two options you will have at the end of your life. There's only two options. Every funeral you go to, there are only two options that exist. You're either sitting out there thinking of a person who has died. You don't know whether they are experiencing a hopeless end or an endless hope. I said, Mark, I like that. I'm going to use that. Little did I know that, you know, it was part of the integral dreaming, you know. But it's good. That's it. That's it. Every funeral you've ever been to, that person is either facing a hopeless end or an endless hope. Becky, an endless hope. Me, an endless hope. You, your children, your grandchildren. I now have a great-grandchild. Do I think about this? Absolutely. Are you praying for them? Are you using the opportunities you have to help them to know the truth of God's word? 
Do you go out of your way to bring them to church so they can participate in the programs that are designed for children to put into their mouths the word of God, the word of the Lord? Are you engaged? Do you care? Hopeless end. Endless hope. This is a call to commitment. This, this is a sermon that is designed to tell you that the stakes are enormous, the time is short, the world in many places is winning the battle, and it's time for God's people to stand up and be counted. Will you? Will you? We're going to share communion together. So those who are going to play, would you please come at this time? This is, a, this is an act that has been done since the first century as God's people would regularly come together and remind themselves that He is the Lord. And they would take the bread, the symbol of His body, and they would take the cup, the symbol of His blood, so that they would never forget and lose the next generation. So I want you to think about that as we partake together a time of commitment. I'm going to ask the, this fine young lady to begin to play. And, and you're welcome to come up and, and, and take the elements. For those of you that are new to countryside, this is for Christians. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to come. Take the elements, take them back to your seat, the bread and the cup, and wait, we'll partake of them together. Please come.